Another Way to Play, episode 84. You don't need to know everything, but if you have somebody in your corner that believes in you, you can accomplish so much. This is Bob Lachance, CEO of Riva Global. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Bob Lachance. He's the CEO of Riva Global, which focuses on offering training to real estate virtual assistants and real estate professionals. In 2004, Bob acquired his first flip and has since done over 700 real estate-related transactions from flips to short sales to a lot of other things in between. He's also started three virtual assistant staffing companies, a used appliance company, and many more. Before all of that, Bob was a ice hockey player, went to Boston University, and ended up playing a vital role in the 1995 National Championship team there. And with only two classes left to get his college degree, Bob left school to sign a professional contract with the St. Louis Blues and has yet to complete it. However, he played four years in the United States professionally and then moved to Europe for four years more. Um, At 30, he officially retired, and that's when he got into real estate. So as you can imagine, in this one, we're going to get into a lot of business building transitions and some real estate specific stuff. So Bob talks about how he found a mentor, how he jumped into his first transaction and figured it out and what he defines the difference between sort of the analysis paralysis, hyper educated world and just taking action and getting something done. Uh, We get pretty deep into that throughout the conversation. So this is absolutely one you're going to want to listen to. He also talks about um, some ups and downs with his business relationships, starting some companies that he wish he didn't, and then some things that he would have done differently in the beginning, and a lot of other stuff in between. Before we get into the show, if you are getting value out of this show, this episode, or any of the others that I'm putting out, please head over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review because it really helps me gain critical feedback as I read all of those. It helps me know what to implement into the show as well as helps me with the algorithms to keep growing the show and the reach of what we're doing here. So without any further ado, let's bring in Bob Lachance. Bob, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Hans, appreciate you having me. My pleasure. Well, man, you've got a lot going on. You've got a really interesting bio. I'm really excited to get into everything you're doing. But before we get to what's going on today, let's back up. Let's build a little bit of context for the audience so that they can understand where you're coming from. So where did your journey officially begin? We're going way back now. Uh, I actually played professional hockey for eight years four years here in the U.S., four years in Europe. 
And then after that, um, I had to decide where my life was going to take me. So um, I decided to jump into real estate investing. This is back in 2004 when I first started, probably about a month into retiring. I did my first flip. And then um, I realized after that flip, I really did not know anything about real estate investing. So I joined my local REA group from there, got uh, hooked up with a mentor who took me under his wing um, and, you know, worked with him for a long time. Within that time, we helped start a couple of real estate coaching programs, flipping properties, you know, all the way from short sales to wholesaling, to rehabbing, to private money. And then that actually morphed into starting a virtual assistant company about five years ago because there was a very good size need in the real estate investor market at the time that's now gone into, you know, the agent world and also the property management world. And then I know that's a long and short. I know you'll break down and ask me some questions, but that's where we're at today. Man, the first thing I'm struck by is the fact that you just jumped straight into a flip first because most people join the RIA, they buy a course, they attend an event, they try and find a mentor before they do any actual action. Like, why did you start with actually doing the flip and, and how did you kind of fumble your way through that one? Well, that's a great question. So my last couple of years when I was playing in Europe, I was in uh, Italy and then Switzerland and I knew it was coming to an end. I just had my first kid and then uh, my wife was still living at home at the time in the United States and I was in you know, obviously a different country. So I knew that my time was coming to an end. My decision was either I'm going to take my family out of the United States, move to Europe and try to play for another 10 years and not make a ton of money. You know, you do okay, but you don't make NHL right. money or, or, you know, NFL money or whatever. Right. So I started reading books. I for, my first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Then mm-hmm. I bought a course on, you know, all about real estate, but all about nothing. You know, one of those big courses. And that got me, you know, interested in getting involved in real estate. Um, the also the one thing I didn't mention either. I left school two classes before getting my degree. So it was either I had to jump into an industry that didn't require a degree or I had to go back to school. And I decided I did not want to go back to school. So I figured I would, uh, you know, path of least resistance and jump into real estate. So jumping into real estate, but most people go and get their license and start trying to buy and sell houses like what I do. Yeah. You jumped into the flip world. So you, you got on the principal side, you took the risk, you took the dive. Like why that and, and how did that go for you? Well, that was the first thing I learned. Um, first thing I actually learned in that course was driving around areas, farming areas, seeing if there's any properties that were beat up, the, the grass was overgrown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I also grew up, my father was a contractor. So, um, the one thing I, I always thought in my mind at that point was, Hey, now I'm a, a contractor. I'm a rehabber. I didn't want to be a contractor with full disclosure, but I wanted to be a real estate investor. And what I learned through the book, rich dad, poor dad. And I learned through this course was, Hey, you know what? You can make some pretty good money flipping properties. Again, I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. I'm, I mean, you could probably relate to this. I'm right from literally sitting in a hockey locker room for eight years. I'm not learning anything. You know, it's not like I'm sitting next to my buddy saying, hey, so tell me what you're going to do next year and, you know, how you're going to make money in the stock market or flipping properties. It wasn't like that. So I had to go out and and self-educate myself and learn different things. So one thing that really, really hit home were, you know, the ways people were making money and flipping properties. If I got introduced to the real estate agent world first, maybe I would have gone down that path, right? Mm. But I got first introduced into, you know, flipping properties. And that's really why my, my path went that way. 
makes sense. Just had that exposure. Plus the exposure from your father being a contractor. I'm sure you were on some job sites. So you'd seen some houses <sighs> torn apart, put back together and everywhere in between. So I think generally, and we're getting a little bit into the weeds on real estate, but generally people freak out when they look at a house or a car and see it as like the whole big picture, right? But when you start to break it down and have that exposure of all its small parts that equal a house or a car, that's when it becomes less scary and you can kind of jump into it. It's like getting a mentor or a coach, right? For me personally, and I, I relate everything back to sports. You know, for me growing up, I was able to see, you know, my father was a mentor for us, both coaching hockey and, you know, seeing him work in business and, and owning his own business. And that's one of the things that I never wanted to get stuck working for somebody else. So I guess that's one of the things that I learned at an early age from him in, in seeing on how to run a business and, and, you know, just working hard to make things happen. Yeah. Well said. So you had the great influence. You jumped into the flip. Did you make money on the first flip? I, I actually did. I made $32,000. It was kind of chaos though. I was back and forth at Home Depot probably about four to six times every single day. Yep. My first day, I was actually ripping a roof myself. I just closed on the property. I put my ladder up in the garage. I'm ripping the roof. Boom. Ladder falls out, fall off the roof. I almost break my shins. That was oh my, my first. Gosh. That was my first introduction to real estate investing. That's when I learned I got to back my ladder. Right, you learn a lot of different <laughs> things, but um, I also learned, you know, you need a very good team in this business. But you also have to start. You know, if I didn't make that offer right away, it would have taken me a long time to start. So I just got into the business and I made an offer. I got an offer accepted. I didn't have money lined up. I didn't have contractors lined up, but I figured it out. So the one takeaway I think is you just have to start. You have to start. I'm struck by this and, and I think that, that we can blow this out to multiple businesses and not just real estate, but let's keep the analogy going. When you first buy that first property, there's a balance, right? Of buying a deal versus buying a good deal. And you sort of have to do enough research or have enough meat on the bone to, to absorb some of your mistakes, of course, especially in the early part of your career. But like, where do you personally find that balance between just starting and starting somewhere that would be sort of an intelligent place to start or a good deal or whatever you want to call that? It's definitely knowing your market, right? You, you, you definitely have to be aware of where you're investing. So for me, it was West Hartford, Connecticut. West Hartford has been always very good, a very good market to buy in where property values have always been pretty good. And there's always people that want to move in because of school systems mm -hmm. it is one of the top notch in the country. So I would say, you know, know your market, look at the school systems because that's really important. People from outside the area will move in if you have a good school system, right? And typically, the higher taxes you pay, and this is just obviously, it's, it's not uh, set in stone, but you know, there's high taxes here and people want to move in because of the school systems. But I think one of the important things about this one property, and there's another thing that I wanted to just lay out there, property was listed for about 175000 and I put a low offer in, 135 as was a vacant property. And I know a lot of real estate investors I talk to, they're scared to put in an offer that's lower than what the property is listed at. So, you know, they think they're going to hear feedback saying, oh, well, you're just lowballing." I don't know if I was naive when I first started, but I didn't care. I put an offer in a 135. They accepted it. And when they accepted it, I was nervous, as you can imagine, right? I'm saying, yeah. where am I going to get the money? Where am I going to get contractors? But you know what? I figured it out. I did some research and I figured the after repair value was about 225. 
And those are the numbers that we ended up hitting after we put money back in the property and made 32 grand. So I think if you start with the end first, figuring out what your market actually can sell at with the after repair values and knowing your market that way, that's when you can back into any type of business, whether it's wholesaling, rehabbing, buying holds, whatever it is. And I think there's even a larger lesson there, which is do some homework before you just jump straight in. Like you didn't just go day one, I'm going to put this offer in and I know nothing about this town. I know nothing about the schools. I know nothing about the people. You had some background information that you were going off of and some bets, if you want to even call it that, that you were, that you were using to influence some of those decisions. Yeah, we're fortunate now because there's a ton of online resources right now to be able to check properties. And I always recommend working with an agent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's very, very important because there's no one better in your local market than an agent that's doing business in that market, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really, really important. And I I hope somebody doesn't gloss over that, especially getting into real estate investing. Uh, The first person that I actually introduced myself to and my buddy Art, I called him on a sign. He had no idea who I was. I told him my story. So listen, I'm looking to buy properties. Again, this is before I even knew what kind of investor I was. So, and I think that's important to build your team. And one of the first people on your team should be a real estate agent. Wholeheartedly agree. And that obviously that's a bit self-serving coming from me, but um, (laughs) I certainly agree. Because when I started buying investments out of state, that's the first thing I did was go and look for an agent who could then help me piece together handymen and tradespeople and a lender and all the other stuff that they know who's going to be able to help you play ball in their market. And if you can show a willingness to be coachable by them and then obviously close because that's how they get paid. You know, they'll give you the time. They'll open the playbook for you and just let you read it. And I think it's important too that everyone realizes that real estate agents will give you their contacts because it helps them make money as well. So they'll let you into their network for obviously the trickle down effect is they will give you their contractor knowing that you're going to buy a lot of properties through them. I think that's something that's sometimes that's a mind block that you got to get rid of. People are going to share a lot of stuff with you if you're open with them. So speaking of that, can you expand on that relative to your experience in business? Because you've done, what, over 400 flips or 700 flips or something like that, some absurd number like that. (laughs) And you've obviously then started Reva Global and you've got a number of other businesses in the works. Like when you talk about being open and sharing, it's not a typical attitude, I think, for most people of like giving and, and the law of reciprocity and the, all of that. Can you give us a few more examples of how that's worked for you? Yeah, for sure. When I first started, I was, um, after I did that first flip, I joined a REA group, right? Real Estate Investing Association. Typically, you're in the REA group. A lot of people are closed-minded. They won't tell you much, right? right? Then you have a speaker on stage obviously trying to offer their product or service, right? They're selling you something, which I was a huge buyer because I wanted to learn everything right? Um, Even though I didn't finish school and take school that serious, it's kind of funny when you're done with school and you're in the working world, you have a way different lens on that, right? You look through a a different lens. So uh, the one, the first thing I did is I asked every single person in that RIA group who the best person in Connecticut was as an investor and as a short sale investor, because I got into Mm -hmm. short sales right away. They all pointed the same person. So I went up to him and I said, Hey, his name was Pat. I said, Pat, you have no idea who I am, but I'm looking to learn anything about the game of real estate. So he was the first individual that I got exposed to that was very open on giving before getting. 
because mm-hmm. his whole mindset was, you know, you could give as much as you can. And in the end, it'll always come back. So for me, I had a mentor from, let's say day 60 that I, after my rehab was done, I yep. joined the rear group and I met him and I learned it from him. And I think that everything that we do, you know, whether it's especially real estate investing, let's talk about investing for a second. You know, if I'm going to teach somebody the right way to wholesale or rehab, every time they have questions, what's going to happen is, you know, they're going to need money. Maybe, you know, we could partner down the road or, you know, they're going to need someone who's my contact. I'll give you an example. I own a used appliance company, right? I got into that business. I can't, I wouldn't recommend getting into that business, (laughs) but my partner, it was my partner still today. He had a property. He was all, he does a lot of investing and he needed an extra $60,000 to buy a property. So we actually bought that property because it needed my funds, 50-50 partners, ended up making over 60 grand profit on it. So I was $30,000 profit for mm-hmm. myself just because of me being open and giving as well. Some of my contractors there, I put them in touch with my buddy Art over here. So there's all of that sphere that you're talking about. It just does come back if you give out. That's a great example. Thank you for breaking that down for us. I've found that to be so true myself. And I've been on both sides of that equation, you know, the scarcity mindset, you want to hold on to it, you want to hold on to your people, your contacts, your list, like there's certain things that you should probably hold on to, or at least make someone pay for. But, you know, there are certainly opportunities to have the law of reciprocity work in your favor. And as long as you're doing it without keeping score, I think that's a really important thing. Until there's, you know, a partnership and money involved, that's a different story. But just in general, the keeping score thing, I'm, you, you're making a hand motion at me. So Yeah, and I love that because I think that's one of the most important things because I'm 46 now. When I was younger, I didn't understand that. I didn't see through that kind of, you know, that lens. But if you get into a relationship and you expect something in return, you're getting into that relationship for the wrong reasons. Right. And that's just the way I look at it. You look at all of, you know, real estate investors, a lot of people you have in your podcast, right, will probably Mm -hmm. agree with if you get into any type of, you know, business and you say, all right, well, I'm doing this with the hope that you're going to give me this in return. Right. Mm -hmm. It's typically not going to go the right way that you hoped for because you're going in the wrong reason. Right. Absolutely. I was at an open house this weekend and ended up meeting a handful of people. And I almost always open up my phone, find a contact, whether it's a flooring guy or a a gardener or a lender or just anybody and just say, here, type this number into your phone. And I don't do the thing like, let me text it to you because then, you know, like some people will be like, oh, just text it to me. And then obviously they gave you the number, but, you know, just giving people stuff that is valuable in that moment because then they're going to have a positive impression of you and then hopefully come back and and want to engage with you some other way. So I totally agree with all of that. So hockey player, you get into flipping, you get a mentor, you join the RIA group, you turn that into a pretty successful organization and a pretty high transaction volume there. Where does the virtual assistant world come into that? You know, right in between that as well, we got approached by our buddies from uh, Connecticut. It's one of the bigger real estate education programs out there today. Back in, oh, I could be off by a year, but now we're, now we're dating back. Uh, around 06, my business partner, Pat, and I, 
uh, got approached by a company out of Florida to run their short sale coaching program. I think we did in our time over 700 short sale transactions because we had a lot of volume. We were doing not only for ourselves, but for other real estate investors and agents as well. Mm-hmm. So we set up kind of a loss mitigation company. So the company out of Florida approached us and said, hey, will you guys run our coaching program for us? And we're like, heck yeah, let's do it. Because we had some really good systems set up and process and that was the next level. Then in 07, our buddies that we're flipping with here in Connecticut were launching a real estate education program. They started selling a rehab course and a wholesale course to local rear groups. And the next step typically is, you know, adding at a coaching program. And they said, hey, you guys want to join our team to help us with this? And we're like, absolutely. So through those years, is back in 07, now 2020, still part of that organization. But within that time, we are always looking for ways to help our students, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a product, whether it's a service, whatever it was. And one of the main things I kept looking at, how do we help our students get time back, right? Become more efficient, get time back and scale. Because mm-hmm. if you think about this, I know when I first started real estate, I was jumping in from another industry. And I know a lot of individuals that look at real estate investing, they're part of a different industry. Maybe they're, you know, in the financial industry, whether they're a contractor, they're in some other industry besides real estate. So I was trying to figure out what that is because there's a big void in the industry and that was helping people get more time back, right? And do a lot mm-hmm. of things, efficiency and scale. So I'm in 2013, I got introduced to the virtual assistant world. And mm-hmm. I never even knew what a virtual assistant was to be totally transparent. It was more common in the real estate agent world rather than the investor world. So in 2014, the light bulb went on. I said, you know what? There's a business here. With my background of, you know, helping create real estate coaching programs and systems and processes, et cetera, you know, light bulb went on where I could put that training platform together with virtual assistants. And I ended up picking the Philippines, starting a business mm-hmm. out of the Philippines back in 2014. I tested the proof of concept for two years to make sure, you know, investors actually wanted that service and come to find out they did and morphed into, you know, five years later. And in that five years, what has your progression looked like? So the progression, we started off first with, you know, 50 clients, then 100, then 150. We got all the way up to, it was around 400. Um, and then I went through a partnership breakup about 18 months ago. And then, you know, we had to take a step back. My wife joined my team and then uh, it's actually blown up from there. So it's uh, pretty interesting, you know, when you go through some challenges like that, you got to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and get back to work. Yeah, That's so true. And I wonder if in that vein, you in retrospect now have any thoughts for people, because especially if someone's listening to this, they're probably in the real estate space. They're, you know, probably following some of your content and they're thinking about either flipping or doing something in a VA capacity where they would need to get time back, like you described, but putting together some of that stuff right up front, you know, partnership agreements, expectations, that sort of thing. What are some of the pitfalls that you see people making when they're starting off in that world? And then what are the things that you, given the opportunity, would go back and sort of advise your younger self to do from the very beginning? Yeah, I think in the real estate space, there's so many different things to learn in real estate. And Just take it step by step by step because it is a journey. It's a process. Real estate is not get rich quick. 
I think it's very important for all of us, you know, to sometimes remind ourselves because we'll listen to a webinar or we'll see the shiny object and we'll jump into it and we'll lose money. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you about a deal that went bad. This is back, you know, a while back, but I learned from that. But I think it's okay. It's a process, whether you want to do wholesaling, rehabbing, buying holds, syndications, there's just a lot of different avenues you could go in, pick one of them and start from there right? Because mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I did a, a rehab first, but then I met my business partner, Pat, and then we did short sales from then on. I didn't do a rehab for a little while after that. And I learned the whole short sale transactions and how to, you know, how to negotiate with sellers, how to negotiate with banks, how to work with agents, how to work with mortgage brokers, with lenders. It was just a great way to really learn how to do it. Everyone I think should really learn how to actually do the business because it's really important understanding the certain steps to take. Mm-hmm. And while I say this, I'm also kicking myself because I'm also saying, take action, take action, take action. Yep. Don't, don't be analysis by paralysis. I think you can learn by taking action as well, right? If you really break down wholesaling, it's very simple. Marketing for buyers, marketing for sellers, and negotiating. It's that simple, yep. right? Yep. I mean, I know we could twist it, turn it, however way we want to do yep. it, but you know what? Build your buyers list. If you have five to 10 buyers, guess what? Start marketing. Because if you know what your buyers are going to buy and you know exactly what areas they want to do, then you could focus your area on that particular market or, you know, that little small niche of the town that they want to buy in. I don't want to oversimplify it, but if you really look at it, it's, you know, it's learning it and taking action at the same time. That's really well said. So there, there's a balance between learning and being patient not to say that you're complacent, but patient with sort of the process you have to take and then obviously trying to do it as fast as possible. And that's yeah. obviously a pretty, a pretty fine <laughs> razor edge to walk there. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, and I look at, you know, going back, I went to Boston university back in, you know, 92 to 96. And, and I look at, you know, when you learn something in school, how long does it actually take you to make money off what you learned in school? Some people say never. I mean, (laughs) right? I mean, I was a sociology major and I obviously wasn't, I didn't finish, but what I learned in school really didn't apply at all to Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. It may have applied if I listened, but you know, again, I'm going way back to what I learned in school. But now real estate investing, I am huge on education and mentors, right? I truly believe that everybody should get number one, a mentor and also get some sort of education behind you because if you think about this, if it takes you six months to close a deal, mm-hmm. that is not a bad thing. If I sign up for a coaching program and it took me six months to get through and I finally closed the deal within the first year, within the first six months, that's pretty awesome. I mean, me personally, I think because I talked to you know, students and individuals that jumped into real estate space, I talked to them two years later, they say, you know what, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Help me change my career, help me change my life, right? Yeah. So I, I, I may look at education a little different than somebody else, but I personally think, you know, coming from the sports background, we all need coaches and mentors are coaches. Yep. We're getting to the end of the time here, Bob, and I want to respect the rest of your day. But um, before we get to the last section of the show, relative to finding mentors and some education, how do you go about finding the people who are real versus the people who are just trying to sell you something? That's a very, very interesting question. You know, for me, I look for people that are authentic, right? Mm-hmm. I just have that, I have that radar up. I could tell if someone's full of it and if someone's not full of it. If they're mm-hmm. too salesy, 
for me, I, I don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me. Right. Um, yep. I like to see what they're doing today. If I know they're on the ground, they're doing the business that for me, I'm attracted to that. Right. Someone yep. who works hard too. you know, I hear a lot of people talk about work smarter, not harder. I do agree with obviously working smart, but for anyone who starts a business, they got to work their butt off. I don't care where they are. You look at the richest people in the world, they work their butt off. And I think it's okay to work hard. Some other podcasts out there, some other books that people write about work ethic and and working smarter than harder. I think they got to, you know, if you marry those two together, then that's really what the formula is. Yeah. You can absolutely take somebody's knowledge, whether it's in the form of a book, a podcast, or their time where they're actually mentoring you and taking a portion of the deal or you're paying them or whatever, and apply your eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, your hustle, whatever you want to call that to that. And that combination will send you in a trajectory so much faster than, you know, if you just applied one of those sides of it. Yep. It's learning anything. So as a real estate agent, right? If you learn, if you learn a new, let's say software or a new marketing strategy, I'll tell you what, the first person who takes action is going to be successful quicker, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So I think it's speed of implementation as well, but that has to do with work ethic, right? It's not just waiting, sitting back and saying, oh, well, I'm just really overthinking this or, you know, I know I'm working a little bit hard, but I'm really working smart. I just think there's some people that will take it to the extreme. And I think it, you know, you meet them both in the middle and those will be your most successful people. I'll round it out with this, this analogy that just popped into my head since we're both athletes, um, marathon running, like everyone talks about it's a sprint or it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Relative to business. And if you think about a marathon, like the world record just recently fell under two hours, I believe. (laughs) And if you really think of what that means, that's two hours of like basically sprinting as fast as you can. I think it's like a sub six minute marathon. And if you have ever tried to run a sub six minute mile, like, yeah, that's, that's fast. I'd be dead. I'd be dead right now. But the point is like, even that dude who is crushing the marathon is still running for about two hours and it still takes a minimum amount of time to complete this thing. Like it still takes a minimum amount of time to complete a game or a race or whatever. So thinking you can shortcut or compress that. Absolutely. You can get a little faster, a little quicker, definitely, but it's still going to take some amount of time. So just keep that in mind when you're starting a new venture. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And you got to follow a proven path as well. Right. Of course. You know, I talk about that investing in, you know, a mentor like yourself or whatever it is. I think it's really, really important. Just like coaches. You, you remember your best coaches, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, Bob. Well, thank you so much for all of that. We are to the end of the time, but I want to get into the focus five, which is the same five questions that I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question is what book have you gifted most often? two main books. One is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. The other one is Leadership by John Maxwell. Both great. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I would have to say Herb Brooks, the coach of the 1980 Miracle on Ice team that beat the Soviet Union. And the main reason why is and I use this analogy, he was playing a game of chess with a bunch of checker pieces. What I mean by that, he's playing against professionals 
and he had all amateurs on his team. I know a number of them, um, a couple of them actually were my coaches uh, growing up when I was at BU. I'm incredible people, but he handpicked each piece of that team with the thought of six, seven, eight, nine plus months of playing this one team. It's pretty Mm -hmm. impressive. It's a lot of, if you look at his whole story, it's exactly how business works, right? He was looking at the marathon. He wasn't looking at the sprint. And he changed a lot of pieces to fit that puzzle by the time the Olympic Games came. I would definitely sit with him and, you know, just go over what his thought process was, what his mindset was, and how he actually, you know, saw six, seven, eight, nine months ahead. That's an awesome answer. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Whew. Interesting. Um, I would say, you know, I grew up, I grew up with some great coaches. You know, my father was one of them and my high school coach was incredible. My college coaches, many of my professional coaches. One of the things that just really stands out is motivation. You don't need to know everything, but if you have somebody in your corner that believes in you, you can accomplish so much. So I really think it's not people would agree with me, disagree. Maybe they might, but I think it's, if you have someone in your corner that motivates you and that keeps pushing you every single day, I truly believe that you'll accomplish more than somebody who, who just has talent. Right. Awesome. So that's, that's what I would say. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you go about starting your day? Um, I actually get up in the morning. I know some people do this. Some people frown upon it. I check my emails right away, right when I get up. <laughs> I turn a podcast on first thing in the morning. I listen to pretty much about 20 minutes while I jump in the shower. I get out. I take my oldest son right now. He's 16 years old. He has his permit. So he drives me to school. So obviously he needs someone to jump in the car with him. And then I head back to the office and I start my day. That did change a little bit and that will change once school is over because typically my other two kids, I would make them breakfast and and eat breakfast with them. So that's changed just a little bit. And then uh, fast forward, I do whatever I do during the day and I get a workout at night. Right on. What is the best place that we can connect with you online? Um, Either LinkedIn or our my website at rivaglobal.com, R-E-V-A global.com, or you can send me an email, uh, bob at rivaglobal.com. I'll link to all of that, LinkedIn, rivaglobal.com, and your email, bob at rivaglobal.com in the show notes. So if you want to connect with him, talk real estate investing, talk VAs, he's your guy. Bob, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the answers you've given and thank you for being part of the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Hans. Thanks a lot. And that does it for today. Guys, if you want to connect with Bob directly, I've got his email, his LinkedIn profile, and Reva Global's website down in the show notes. Really easy to find. And he's very approachable, very open, and someone who just loves to help people grow and get better. And if you want to have a similar connection with me, I also have my Calendly link down in the show notes. I would love to connect with you one-on-one, just get to know you a little better, figure out how to keep making this show better and how I can continue to provide value to you as a listener. So without any further ado, we're going to sign it off for today. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, and remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. 
For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.